Um, Justin is going to be one of our guest lecturers today. He's done um, tons with the FTO program, and, and one of the things that got brought up, he was having difficulty, or, or one of his recruits, when we were talking about the 10 deadly errors, and it's one that comes up. We don't really talk much about this kind of stuff in CIT, or when it comes to CIT law enforcement or policing, but I thought it'd be good to kind of go over in case we are getting lax on this stuff and, and to kind of see how we can incorporate it either into our ongoing training, our own personal approach to stuff, or anything like that. But I'm not Justin. Again, uh, Justin Trotowski, APD. Um, I've been with the Albuquerque Police Department now for just over seven years. Um, and as Matt kind of alluded to, I have been a field training officer for three of those years and had the privilege of training uh, 12 recruit officers. Um, this came about from my perspective just when I did have a recruit officer that was truly struggling with some, with some safety issues. Um, so I began just kind of digging on my own and with the help of the advanced training unit here at the Albuquerque Police Academy and kind of came up with this um, just to kind of give that guidance and assistance to just ensure that we're all safe out there. Um, just identifying these 10 most widely recognized errors that cause officer injury or death, uh, discuss and recognize the behavior traits and uh, descriptors of potentially victim officers. Um, we've all, we all have heard stories, you know, in the absolute tragedies across the country where law enforcement officers are killed every day. And unfortunately, the unfortunate side of it, as we all know, is many of them could potentially have been preventable. And that's kind of where this, this guideline, you know, this more of a guideline goes and hopefully just generates the conversation um, that we can all have with ourselves, with newer officers, or the old salty guys that are potentially just, you know, kind of almost burnt out. But with that in mind, we could just start right off the bat. Um, and I'd like to implement as well um, just the, uh, the importance that crisis intervention, and as I kind of didn't mention prior, but certainly have a passion for crisis intervention and have throughout my career. But there's certainly misconceptions with it, with the crisis intervention, you know, the, the hug the thug program and things like that, that we, we certainly know aren't true. Sorry. <laughs> so first, to start off, lack of concentration. Um, you know, having that preoccupied mindset. We all hear the, you know, the different color codes. Uh, code white, uh, concerned or worry about personal problems on duty. Um, as an FTO, even as, as an FTO, I would see that, you know, some, sometimes those personal problems would kind of creep in with my, some recruit officers. And it's, that can truly, truly be devastating uh, to what's going on, you know, in that police, marked police vehicle, paying attention to what's going on around us. Um, and ensure important, absolute importance of being completely aware, um, not, you know, focusing on those other problems throughout the potential day. And just with this lack of concentration, um, one of the things to think about too, I know that Doc Rosenbaum was talking about mindfulness and kind of being able to be there in the moment and kind of seeing the dangers and seeing everything on that, which is a good way to kind of tie back to this if that's something you're interested in. We were fortunate enough to have Rick Jackson come and give us a speech on mindfulness. And I think we had it recorded. If we can get that recording, I'll put it up so that everyone can have access to it to watch it. You guys can, can see if it's something you guys like or not. But this can always be a hard one. And so even if it's yourself or your coworkers, if you know someone's coming to work and they're going through a divorce or they just had a, a loss in their family and then someone's preoccupying them, it does suck to be at home with your thoughts. But 
at least you're alive and at home with your thoughts than at work where you're putting yourself and others in jeopardy. So just remember that. And for the most part, and I'm only speaking on behalf of, you know, personal experience and with our police department, it's been um, extra supportive when there are those personal things. And the department certainly recognizes, um, you know, if you need to take that time off to ensure that you're taking that time off to care about yourself. Next would be Tombstone Courage. Um, we've all been around the officer that just thinks that they can handle everything and, you know, and that, you know, that isn't going to wait for their 82 or their backup in this case, um, also known as John Wayne syndrome. Um, it reminds me of a, a story that there was that was kind of even told, I think, throughout my academy class where an officer was notorious. He was a highway patrol officer, um, not notorious for, you know, just kind of code foring. Didn't didn't ever need help. Didn't ever need, didn't ever need assistance. Uh, almost turned it away and looked down upon it, like, that he could handle everything. And it was it, there was video of it that made national attention. And it was three um, three individuals in the vehicle ended up jumping him and, and killing him. And there were officers right there, but because he had that attitude that he could handle anything, he he ended up uh, losing his life tragically because of it. I think this is a hard one, and I don't know if there's anything that you've seen in, in your literature stuff and on this, but I feel like some of the stuff, especially in law enforcement, kind of any public safety, it's fire everything. There's a certain point where you have to give up your own personal safety to um, complete the job. And so it's something you have to kind of either come to, to, to um, yeah, grips with is that you might lose your life trying to protect another or you might get severely injured if you're having to go into a fire or you know pull people out of certain areas so it's sometimes i think it's we we end up sort blocking the safety receptor in ourselves that gives us this false sense of courage that we're doing right so nothing can happen but i did i didn't know if this is a common thing or anything that's even studied medically not that i know give it some help I think it's a hard one. I feel like uh, looking at this, it seems like newer officers really have this. You're saying this phenomenon itself yeah. of, of sort of invincibility. Yeah. You certainly see it with the, with the, our our driving habits. And, you know, <laughs> the unfortunate unfortunate that you know so many officers are killed every year just be, based on you know driving recklessly to a call, and you don't you believe you don't believe that you can get hurt. You don't believe that you can get injured. No, now I do remember uh, one study about this, which was interesting, with sort of reckless behavior in teenagers, because they feel like they're invincible, so it's sort of similar, mm -hmm. um, in that when they actually ask the teenagers to rate the danger that they're putting themselves in, they actually overestimate, so that they know they're in danger. Isn't that interesting? So, so, like, when cops are racing and they're doing this heroic stuff, I think they know they know right. that they're neighbor, so it's not the the invincibility so much. It's more this is I don't know the psychology. You guys would know it better than I do, but the psychology isn't oh I'm underestimating the risk. Right, it, it's a hard one, and I think you know if you were actively seeing someone using tombstone curves where they're doing stupid things, you need to call them on it. So if it's stuff like especially like, like car stops on the freeway. If you see someone just doing very bad safety stuff there, just walking out in, in front of traffic, you know, thinking people are going to go around them, bring it up and point it out to them. Or they're going to those hot calls involving a weapon and they either don't have their weapon out when it's needed 
they're not doing proper room clearing or cornering because they just think nothing's going to happen. If you don't point it out, you're only going to be kicking yourself in the ass when something happens to them. So point it out to them. You can be respectful. Just like, hey, man, do you realize you didn't clear that corner or what's going on? Is you're, you know, are you are you having difficulty? Did you have any trouble with that with your with your recruits? I think with recruit officers, the, the, the tricky thing is always them recognizing it because they've spent most of their, you know, adult life not being cops. We're not born cops that uh, they just have a hard time recognizing what could potentially be safe or unsafe. Yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, lack of rest. Uh, we've all, we, you know, we've all worked the extra long shifts moving on into, you know, 24 plus hours and the overtime and yet you still got to continue on to your next shift but um, for your graveyard officers certainly being sleepy or even asleep you know being asleep on your shift um, being alert and ready is absolutely crucial for our safety um, just to ensure that you're not um, again that kind of falls into mindset but you know just being overly tired and not aware of what what is going on around you I think this one can be hard too. It, you just have to have any kind of rest too. Sometimes even if you're not um, actually sleeping, you have to have some kind of physical rest, just chill out for a little bit, especially in the new times. Of, I'm not sure about all the agencies connected or or those that, that work. We have a thing called Chief's Overtime where you could just work overtime. Certain places pay for law enforcement to be there as security. And I remember when I first came out, I took a, every overtime opportunity I could have, I worked. I wanted to be in uniform as much as possible, and you burn out. And then, you know, you're just not fresh for that kind of stuff. Do you have any tips about resting? I think one thing about work? sleep is this has been studied a lot in medicine because it's a big problem with, the, oh, you know, that's why they have the 80-hour work week. Um, but the, when they do good studies about it, I saw one with surgeons, and they interview them saying, you know, you're on your 30th hour. Do you feel like you need to fall asleep? They're like, no, I'm fine. And they were they connected them to brain scan, you know, brain um, whatever, to pick up their brain waves. And it turns out that they were microsleeping. So they thought they weren't tired, but they were actually microsleeping. So they were just sort of nodding off and coming back on. Wow. It's a little scary. So yeah. just because you think you're getting enough sleep, you want objective proof that you're getting enough sleep. I think this is one that... Uh... And don't I'm, go to the hospital in Joel. Don't go to the That's when all the new doctors yeah, are out. Yeah. Yes. You should do a lecture on that. When not to go to the hospital. That's the time. That's the whole lecture for life. <laughs> don't go in July. But I think on, on one of these, I feel like we don't, uh, uh, in public safety, just take the time off we need. Yep. Some places like, I know AFD, so our local fire department is typically two days on, and then they're off. So they kind of get that forced time off, but... A lot of us, it's almost culturally looked at as weak to take time off. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's, I don't know why that is. I think that's true for the entire United States, too, but I think it's worse within law enforcement. Yeah, law and worse. we just don't want to take time off. Have you noticed that? Yeah, you certainly do. I mean, and with, to be perfectly honest, the way the, the department is right now, taking time off is difficult. You yeah, know, it's difficult to get in the book to ensure that your manning levels are still all, you know, how they should be and up to that 70%. Um, I think that, you know, so then when it does come time to take off, potentially you're able to take off and you plan it with your families and things like that. However, you can't get in the book and you can't get that time off. So, oh, that's fine. Hey, could you guys pan back the camera so we can see all of the speakers?
Of course. All we see is the one. Sorry. He's the only one that knows. <laughs> He's a free <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> No. <laughs> Thank you. Um, next is certainly, as we kind of discussed about recruit officers and, you know, they're just overall awareness and is taking a bad position. Um, nationally speaking, officers are killed every year because of they could have taken a better position, a position behind cover or concealment. Um, maybe they turn their back on someone. Um, just overall, that position of advantage uh, through the 12 recruit officers that I had harping that position of advantage, position of advantage, position of advantage, um, putting yourself in the best possible position throughout your entire shift, whether you're pulling up to a red light, you know, and you don't want the vehicle directly next to you, whether you're dealing with someone that you're about, you, you could potentially be under arrest, um, taking a bad position could be absolutely detrimental. Where does this begin, though, this positioning? Is this something a mindset? Is this training? How do you work on this? It starts in the academy. I mean, it starts in the academy just being aware, you know, oh, that personal space, you know, how, where are you relative to the other, um, you know, other folks in, in the room? Um, if it's a room, if it's a domestic violence call, if it's just, you know, interviewing. We talk about interview stance, ensuring that your body's bladed, um, you know, kind of prepared, uh, your hands are empty. Um, and then that kind of goes on, that progresses into, you know, the L formation and a cover contact role, ensuring that you, you have that when you're, when you're uh, A2, your backup is available, that you have that contact cover role. Um, we talk about crossfire and all that stuff starts, starts in the academy. Um, for, your, for the newer officers and recruit officers, I think it's just actually getting out there in the field, experiencing it, that, that it kind of gives them a better idea of what that is. It was hands-on. And I know for um, our police department, and I'm not sure how many other agencies are doing this, we have really taken the approach to include what's called reality-based training, or what we're calling it as reality-based training, throughout all levels of training. So continuous training and ongoing um, maintenance of effort training. So we are using simunition rounds. So it's um, you use it through your regular firearm, but it's a soak cartridge. And they're putting us in different situations where it could be a use of force situation with a firearm, but where we're having to really pay more attention to our position. Because I guess what we were noticing is you get trained in the academy or your basic level, and you don't really get any retraining in it. And so you do get retraining in firearm qualifications, you get retraining in defensive tactics, but not necessarily room clearing, taking a better position, or having that mindset. And I do think that's helped, at least it's helped me realize where I'm lacking, where I've just given up some of... Uh, this kind of stuff where I've just became lax to it, where I don't think of it just um, second nature. So it, it is a good thing if you guys aren't doing it, and I think it's in all public safety branches, because even if you are doing paramedic stuff, you never know when, when the person you're out with might try to attack you. And you guys practice on where should everybody be when they're doing exams, and, and how do you restrain someone that gets there. It, it is a perishable skill, in my opinion, on Next, and kind of going into that, that perishable skill, would be missing danger signs or potential warning signs. Um, failing to acknowledge these warning signs, you know, potential red flags. Um, and then that goes, this has been crucial in my crisis intervention training, but your nonverbal and verbal cues. You know, picking up on those, on those nonverbals that, you know, you may, not, you may not recognize in your everyday life, um, but as a police officer and as a crisis intervention officer, you know, recognizing those... Uh, those signs, those nonverbals can certainly be crucial to keeping yourself safe. 
Um, and I, I keep alluding back to my recruit officers, but that's just kind of the, what I have in mind. Um, we, we talk about uh, target glancing and potentially looking for that, that, that escape. Um, you know, maybe potentially somebody wanting to run away or, or and or fight you. Um, and with my particular recruit, he was completely missing that this this person that we were out with, who were, was detained on the on the curb, not in handcuffs, um, but was certainly looking for that avenue. And he was very fidgety, kept looking around, looking side to side, and it, it, it took myself to say, hey, you know, we need to figure something else out with keeping us all safe to ensure that, you know, he wasn't going to flee or take off. Um, and, you know, certain open, certainly open discussion with myself and that particular recruit officer after the fact, um, just to be, be aware, be cognizant of those nonverbal skills uh, or the nonverbal actions of the, the person that you're dealing with. This is one that we always bring up in CIT class. It's about signs and getting in the habit of asking people or stating the obvious to somebody. If somebody is clenching their fist saying, why are you doing that? Or if someone is pacing at an odd time, why are you pacing back and forth? And just asking, you'll get a lot of information from somebody when you call out for their actions. And I apologize, I have kind of a head cold, but when um, you're out with somebody, let's say they have a severe mental illness like schizophrenia and they're taking some of their medications, some of the medications cause akathisia, which can, can look almost like a danger cue. It's someone, you know, fidgeting in place. Sometimes it's the restlessness of their arms or their feet. And unless you don't ask, you're going to misread that sign. And so unfortunately, you know, some of our tr typical trained law enforcement these signs can translate to inappropriate signs when it comes to someone due to their illnesses or medication. And so one of the best things to do is be aware of it. Don't pretend like that's not happening or don't assume it's because of medicine either. Don't assume that it's not a danger sign, but just ask somebody. You'll get, as, you'll get more information and intel by just being professional and just straightforward, like, why are you doing that? And if someone tells you because I'm going to kick your ass, well, then you know it's about to go and get ready <laughs> yeah. for a call for backup, you know. Failing to watch uh, someone's hands. Um, it's the subject's hands, as we all start off right in the academy, that, you know, it's the hands that can certainly hurt you. And uh, ensuring that the hands are visible. Um, as, you know, law enforcement officers, anytime hands are going to, you know, reaching for the belt line or the waistline, it's, it's automatic that it makes us nervous or makes us uncomfortable. However, if we kind of, if we kind of lower our guard and become relaxed in that, you know, it could certainly be, detrimental to your your own safety if you're not if you're not focusing on the hands um i had a perfect example and again my this is my just my last recruit officer he we, it was an alarm call and we show up to the business and somebody comes out it wasn't it was pretty clear that it was the in fact the you know re responsible party for the business but they did have a open box cutter in their hand um and my recruit kind of just engaged in conversation maybe this far away from each other and we left the scene. It was pretty, it was real quick. I didn't even have a chance to intervene, but it was like, okay, thanks, have a good day. And we walked away. And I asked my recruit officer. I said, what did you, what did you, what did he have in his hand? And my recruit, sure enough, said, I don't know. And he, so he didn't, he didn't see it. He completely didn't see the open blade in the person's hand. And again, no fault to his of of his own, but just ensuring that you know it was certainly a training moment for himself. You know, exposing that vulnerability, but. And, and, and for me, even myself, that, you know, that, that gave me that opportunity to have that discussion with him. Um, that for myself, you know, 
it, it's almost natural that I'm that I'm checking folks' hands, whereas for him it was not. Um, but certainly watching the hands is crucial. And it is a skill that that you really pick up, and then you just almost it becomes second nature. You start staring at people's hands and waistlines all the time, which can look odd. Mm -hmm. Jin just gave me the face of inappropriateness. But so on this one, sometimes this can almost seem intimidating to somebody, especially if they're in a behavioral health crisis. If you're constantly like, let me see your hands, show me your hands, show me your hands, and you're doing things like that. Do you have any tips on that one when that comes up? The, the best thing in that I've always found, if you've got a reason that you continue to tell somebody to take your hands out of your pockets, show me your hands, show me your hands, and they're continuously doing it, maybe it's cold outside. You could certainly, you know, almost as a rapport, a way to report, build that rapport with them. You know, hey, let me just make sure you don't have any weapons on you and conduct your pat down. And then, by all means, you can put your hands in your pockets and stay warm. Um, something along those lines to, you know, now you're building the rapport with them. Um, and now you're able to kind of keep them warm, but you now know that they, in fact, don't have anything on them. And this is one of those that um, it seems to come up a lot when we meet with peers or consumers is some of the police procedures of cuffing and the safety stuff of let me see your hands or doing pat downs. And one of the biggest things that we always get from, from somebody, and this is somebody living with mental illness, is they always ask, why can't we explain it? And for some reason, I feel when it comes to officer safety stuff, we have this odd idea that we can't explain what we're asking to do stuff. But if it is something like this, try to explain it, not just the for my safety and your safety. You can take that extra, not even a minute to say, well, you know, people often carry weapons in their pockets and I don't know you. And it's just something that, that we practice and it is our policy. But I mean, if you want, I can check your pockets. That's fine. It's nothing against you. But explaining it to somebody will go a long way Then it's just not you as, a, as the government will, you know, demanding someone to do stuff. No, I think that's good advice. I think in terms of rapport, I think that's a great idea. And just letting them know that you're a stranger to me and this is how I treat everybody. You know, little old ladies can have guns too and, you know, we want to see their hands just as much as yours and then patting them down, I think it's a great idea. It reminds me when I was on call once for the hospital and I was going to the VA, this was 10 years ago, and the VA police, I was speeding because I wanted to get my call done with, the, you know, going over to the emergency department. He pulls me over. And so he comes up beside me, and then I reach to get something. And he, show me your hand, show me. I'm like, oh, my God, it's <laughs> 3 in the morning. I'm clearly dressed like a doctor, and, you know. And so I put my hands up. But he never took that extra moment to say, Why? you know, I'm sorry. This is, I, you know, I have to see everybody's hands. I don't know you. I don't know what you have in your glove. That extra 30 seconds would have... You know, obviously, I feel very strongly that I think police are awesome. But, you know, that made me think I could see why people get upset. It's a big miscommunication on it. Relaxing too soon. Um, you know, just don't an overall complacency. The, you know, the typical routine call or the routine traffic stop. Uh, kind of unwinding before the shift is over. And, you know, as we all know, nothing is routine about law enforcement, about this job. Um, unwinding before the shift is, you know, especially with those who are working in the field here at, with APD, 12-hour uh, shifts, it's very easy to unwind and to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done for the day, I'm going home, um, you know, checking out even, you know, an hour before your shift is over. But we just never know what uh, if somebody, you know, comes to the substation, you know, the Northeast subs is right there at the busy intersection of Wyoming and Osuna. 
there all the time people are making their you know approaching the substation asking for questions asking directions you never know you never know what the what that situation could be whereas if you're now in this relaxed mindset it could certain it could certainly be dangerous um an unfortunate story it, it was in fact this year um one of the first officer deaths in the country was an officer was making his way home it was a graveyard shift making his way home and he pulled up to a traffic stop or what looked like a traffic crash he perceived it as a traffic crash and got out and went to assess the the victim lo and behold it was a big mess of a domestic violence call where the vehicles had intentionally crashed and the offender had got behind the officer and shot him in the back of the head and then killed the female as well now do we know i mean that could that certainly sounds like one of those incidents where you know it's just an absolute tragic situation and his life was taken uh however it's the end of his shift who, who knows what his mindset was in who knows where he was he was at sorry are there statistics well i'm, I'm the only statistics that i get from a from a law enforcement uh death is uh from the officer down memorial page okay um which i'm sure that they're i mean and they're available like as to what what how the officers were killed and sure, sure. from year to year um but it's as far as like the but is it more likely to happen near the end of the shift than at other points? That I don't know. That's a, that seems like something easy to figure out. That'd be yeah. an interesting study. Because, yeah. you know, it, there's um, you're also more likely to get into it's the same phenomenon, I think. You're more likely to get into an accident, a car accident, if you're driving. This is true for anybody. Five miles within your home, right? Everybody's heard that. But it's true even if you're driving across the country. So if you drive all the way across the country, that last five miles is you're the most dangerous. Because you're like, okay, I'm home, and you start to relax, and you go even more into autopilot, and you're actually more likely to get into an accident. So it's sort of avoiding, and it's one of the biggest cliche in movies. I'm just about to retire. Yeah, right. <laughs> God. Yeah. I'm just about to retire. <laughs> it's my last day. I think one one of these things is if you feel like you're falling into this, or you see someone that might be falling into this, is almost set up a personal routine. So it could be that. You know, I promise not to relax until I'm home and my vest is off. So I'll say no more relaxing until my vest. Because if you say, I'll only, you know, I'll decompress in the car in front of my house. Well, you're still there sitting on target or you're there in case someone has a question or something. You're still there. So find a place where you can, you know, you know, once you tear off your uniform, once you do this, take that 10 minutes or whatever it is that you need to kind of uh, decompress if that's something that, that you feel is lacking. Use it then, but come up with a safe routine for you to do that that doesn't involve on the job. This one is it's pretty brief. I mean, especially in the, this one comes within in the moment. Um, improper searching or handcuffing, always ensuring that you know you're properly and completely searching your prisoners, prisoners, um, and always expect the worst. Um, I think it was a recent mishap that the person was going. Um, he was arrested by some detectives, brought all the way to the Metropolitan Detention Center. They put him through the scanner, the metal detector, and sure enough, he's got a gun between his legs. I mean, that is, I mean, that is absolute worst case scenario, and, but fortunately, no one was hurt. Um, and just ensuring that there's, there's plenty of places that weapons can hide, and that ensuring that if we are taking someone into custody, that we're checking them and searching into the best, best we can. And if you don't already do reality-based training, this is one where you'll figure out really quickly if it's something you've become um, complacent with. 
with searches because you're cuffing people and searching them. And all of a sudden someone asks you, oh, are you done with your search or did you complete it? And if you're second guessing yourself, then you know it's somewhere that you've uh, become complacent. In. Failure to maintain proficiency with your equipment, uh, proper care of your weapons, vehicles, and equipment, maintain proficiency in all aspects of the job, uh, practice and maintain your firearm. Um, I'm certainly guilty of it, guilty of not practicing near as much as, much as I should, especially at the range. Um, but this also can go for, you know, especially from a crisis intervention perspective, just being proficient with communicating. You know, CIT is a tool. And, and I, I would always tell my recruit officers, you know, communicate, communicate, communicate. And if, if you're not, if you don't feel like you are, it can certainly be something that you could lose. It's certainly a perishable skill. So when it comes to equipment, though, if you're not and you get tied up like Justin's saying and you're not going to range a lot, you do need to make sure that you're maintaining, especially your firearm, cleaning it, even if you're not shooting it, you know, make sure you do routine checks on that kind of stuff because you don't want that to be malfunctioning when you actually need it. But this can go for anything. If you um, keep an extra set of cuffs in the trunk, I know lately it was been kind of wet and I had an extra set of cuffs in the trunk and I went to check on them just recently and they are rusty. So, I mean, I, they're useless, and if I grab them real quick in the in the heat of, of something, I wouldn't have even been able to cuff somebody. And that would have been a whole different situation for me. So maintaining all of that, including any kind of defense tactics. When was the last time you practiced a successful arm bar or a rear sit-out, and what do you do at the end? Are you guys going to be prepared, and what area of the country are you working? Here locally, I know we were just talking about mindfulness, and we had Greg Jackson. We have a huge... Uh, culture of mixed martial arts here. We have some world champions in training. You deal with, with a lot of guys with that kind of training and you get into a fight, you better start knowing some of these techniques or, you know, it's it, it's going to be a lot of trouble for you on it. And unfortunately, it's not something we practice often in anything on that. And it's the, the stuff that we get taught to save our lives, but yet we practice it once in our life. So it, it's a hard one to get in the habit, but it's something that Maybe start doing it as a group or a squad, just making the time and holding people accountable sometimes. Like, hey,